Good morning, everyone. It's great to be together as God's family. Uh, if you are new or you're visiting, it is so good to have you here. Uh, for the benefit of the recording, my name is Paul. I have the privilege of leading the team that oversees New Life Community Church. I'm married to Joe. We have two children, Maya and Ben, who are living the dream of secondary school life. Um, they are actually, as we speak, on, in their car on the way uh, to see uh, Joe's family over in Dover. They are very relieved for the half-term break, and uh, I'm praying that God will bless their time together. So we're continuing our series, looking at the book of Hebrews, and the writer in Hebrews is speaking to a bunch of guys who are still getting to grips with learning to live a life following Jesus. Does anyone still feel like they fall into that category? <laughs> the writer wants to help these men and women press into a greater maturity to grow up in their faith so that in testing times they may stand strong, not because of who they are, but because of the God that they belong to. My hope is that through this wonderful letter, we would all grow together and have a hunger for a greater maturity in Jesus that would inspire our walk with him. So if you have your Bibles, we are going to be rooted in chapter 10 of the book of Hebrews. It is, it's a big chapter, okay, and we're not going to be able to cover all the ground, but there are some key areas that I would like us to focus on. So that's chapter 10 of the book of Hebrews, which you'll find at the end of your Bible. If you don't have it, don't worry, I'll read out the scripture anyway. Heavenly Father, bless your word. It is our, it's our meat and drink. It's our daily sustenance, Lord God. You have given this for our benefit and for your glory. And I pray, Lord, this would do us much good, Father. Thank you that it is living and active, Lord. And I pray that it would come alive afresh to us again today. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we are coming to the climax of the letter itself. And in chapter 10, the writer gives this full Trinitarian weight to the sufficiency of what Christ has accomplished for you through his sacrifice. When the worship song declares Christ is enough for me, it is summarizing what the Hebrew writer is hoping to achieve through this letter and particularly this chapter. Last week, Dale uh, in, uh, spoke on the, new, here in, on the new covenant in Christ with its better promises. Here in chapter 10, the writer wants to move you on from kind of knowing this stuff to truly believing this stuff and living your life according to it. That through to your very bones, Christ is enough for you. I, I can't do turn page and whole Bible at the same time. <clears throat> so with that in mind, we're going to look at three statements from the Trinity that show us the commitment of God, three comparisons that show us the work of God, and finally, in our application, three let us statements that show us how to respond to God from this chapter. Starting with God's commitment to us through Christ. So we're going to read from verses 5 to 7. 
in chapter 10. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. The words of Jesus are there to authenticate a change initiated by God and show the willingness of Jesus to see that change through to completion. Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. The Bible really is one big narrative of two volumes with some wonderful bonus features. Volume 1 contains everything from the beginning of time to the arrival of Jesus. We call this the Old Testament. And then volume 2 takes us through the radical impact that Jesus makes. We call this the New Testament. Before the sending of Jesus, in the Old Testament, the people of God, known as Israel, made animal sacrifices and presented offerings in accordance with God's instructions. And this was to effectively receive God's mercy and know the favor of a holy God who greatly loved the people who messed up a lot. As one with God, Jesus knew the heart of God. That God did not desire sacrifices and offerings, and he took no pleasure in burnt offerings and sin offerings. If we wind back right to the beginning, back to the Garden of Eden, where God called everything very good, we see no hint of a sacrificial or offering system because sin did not exist. When sin enters the world, the first act of God is to bring judgment. Adam and Eve had acted against the will of God. However, the second act of God is to bring mercy. In their nakedness and their shame, God covers them with garments of skin. And this is the first recorded sacrifice, and it's made by God himself to cover Adam and Eve in their their shame. It doesn't remove their sin, but it speaks of God's love for them despite their sin and their need to be covered by God. It's not God's desire, nor his pleasure, but a necessary act, one that God initiated in a fallen world to show mercy to those he loved. And it was a necessary mercy that the people needed until the time that God would provide a greater mercy. Jesus said, a body you have prepared for me. Whilst we work toward a destination of maturity together as God's family, Jesus knew his destination as the incarnate son of God. He was journeying to the cross. There are many things that God shows us through his son as he walked on this earth. But Jesus was under no illusion that the body prepared for him was one that was to be sacrificed so that the greater mercy of God could be shown and a new covenant enacted on better promises could begin. This was God's commitment to us through Christ. Jesus then reveals 
that further commitment through the voice of God reveals this further commitment through the voice of his Holy Spirit. And we're going to find that in chapter 10, verses 15 to 17. This is the second commitment of God. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. So God's commitment to us through Christ was to establish a new covenant, a new agreement between God and man, one that was better than what had gone before. One that was better in particularly two ways. One, that God's law would be put into the heart of every believer and written on their minds. And secondly, that he would remember the sins of every follower of Jesus no more. The former covenant comprised of ten commandments and they were written by the finger of God. If you tried, has anyone tried actually writing something with their finger? <laughs> it actually really hurts. God wrote it onto tablets of stone, ten commandments, and this is what James in his letter refers to as the royal law, the primary requirements of faithfulness for God's people. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. In the former days, God's finger had written these on tablets of cold stone. Yet now through Christ, he writes his requirements for faithfulness on a beating heart and an active mind. That God's ways would pulsate and permeate every aspect of our living being and would shape our thinking and inform our practice that we would not just know this stuff but would be completely wrapped up and it would be completely wrapped up in who we are and what we do there is a um, there's a moment for every believer when god truly puts his finger on our heart and our mind if you're here this morning trying to figure all this stuff out, let me say to you, there will be a moment where God takes those words that he's written on the pages of his word and he makes them alive to you because he puts his finger on your heart. That moment changed my life forever. The former covenant provided for the people a measure of covering in the same way that God did for Adam and Eve. No one could remain perfectly faithful to God. God in his mercy, he knew that, he, that they would fall short of his standard. So for the people of God, God provided a means of covering through the sacrificial system that would temporarily see the people of Israel be covered in response to their nakedness and shame of sin against God. Like any incense that you burn in your house, the fragrance only lasts a short while then whatever smell remains is what you live with. I'm not saying that my lounge smells funny, by the way. If you come round in incense, you know, if I keep burning the incense, then you'll know to be worried. So you, fight, you, know, so you might feel that as, as soon as that incense goes away and, and the smell that was originally there comes back into, 
into being, you, you light the incense again to cover it. The offerings to God would cover the smell in the room that Israel had created. And I'm telling you, the, the smell that Israel created was not good. Every time the fragrance of that offering disappeared, God would be reminded of Israel's sin. The former covenant only temporarily dealt with this smell of Israel's sin. Sin permeates. It gets into everything. My family and I, uh, for my birthday, went to Seven Bone Burger. Has anyone been to Seven Bone Burger? Oh my gosh, if you haven't been to Seven Bone Burger, you must go. Okay, the burgers are amazing. And they do these like several like ranges of fries that will just be like, I, I loved it, okay? But uh, it's a franchise thing. So there's one in Bournemouth. There's, yeah, 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 yeah. Big. <laughs> Seven Bone Burger, highly recommend. But when we came home, this was the negative that my wife pointed out. We realized that the smell of burger was in everything. It was on our hair. Oh, not mine, obviously. Our clothing and our devices. It's just, it, it permeated, got into everything. Sin permeates. It gets into everything. And that's dangerous for you and displeasing to God. But, and we do love buts in the Bible, the new covenant through Christ not only sees God put his finger on our hearts and our minds, but establishes a permanent covering for every believer. The love of Christ for you at the cross sees his sacrifice sufficiently cover you before God because his fragrance is like no other. The one who has no beginning or end does not diminish, does not fade, but is always present and is perfectly able to present you as shared in the letter of Jude, blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. God's commitment through Christ is that he will remember our sins and our lawless deeds no more. No more. So we have our first commitment from God with the voice of Christ in verses 5 to 7. The second commitment from God with the voice of the Holy Spirit in verses 15 to 17. And then in verses 37 to 38, we have the third commitment from God with the voice of the Father. He says, For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Two things to consider. In a little while, the coming one will come and will not delay. Secondly, if God's righteous ones shrink back, his soul will have no pleasure in them. Okay, for every believer, there is a huge amount of promises that we receive for being part of the family of God. God's commitment, many commitments of care for us that work alongside his great mission to see the lost being added to his family. Promises for now and promises that extend beyond this life. And those promises hinge around this crucial event on the horizon for every single Christian, past, present, and future, the great promise of the return of Jesus Christ. It is the great signal, much better than the... I'm going to say the back... What's the back signal? It's much better than the back signal. Okay, the return of Christ. 
is the better signal that we have run the race of this life and can now look to the next. It is when words like, thank God, endurance will fade away. Because there will be no such thing as battery life in eternity with Christ. No sense of getting tired or weary or having to press through. The day of Christ will mark an end to those days and new days for every believer will begin. The writer is sharing this, the reason, the purpose, because the days of the life ahead of the life of the original readers were going to be challenging. And it's the same for us. Days of challenge were coming. Days of persecution. Days of suffering. In this life, that is the reality for every believer. To know God and to trust him is the most precious life-changing, exhilarating, comforting, and securing experience. To navigate this world as a follower of Jesus when your heart is burdened as God is, as God's is, when you look to live as light at times in some very dark places, when you share truth in love, the world can be a very cruel place and a very challenging place. But remember God's commitment through Christ to you. In a little while, the coming one will come and will not delay. His voice through his son to be an offering and permanent covering for you. The voice of his Holy Spirit reminds how God has put his finger on your heart and imparted ways of life of living faithfully to him. Remember his fathering voice to you that his son will return. So therefore, church, let's not throw away our confidence. Let's be a church of endurance. It's only a little while. And let's not shrink back. We don't want to be, <laughs> we don't want to be a church with whom God is not pleased with. So that's three commitments. Let's look at briefly uh, three comparisons, and we'll follow that by three lettuces that we find in the scripture. Okay, comparison number one we can find in verse one, which is shadow and reality. In verse one it says, for since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. When you see your shadow on the wall, it can give something of the likeness of you, but it's, it's missing an awful lot. In verse 1 of chapter 10, the writer says, the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, which means when we look back to the covenant God made with his people of Israel, when we look back to the sacrificial system, there are good things that we can see but they are not the whole. They are not the fullness of what, was what we were meant to experience. They are a taste. Like when David says in Psalm 34, 8, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Well, we can taste the good of what God has established with the people of Israel through Moses, a taste of God's heart to have a people unto himself, a taste of God's heart to have people that draw close to him, a taste of the challenge of what it is for sinful people to draw close to a holy God. A taste of a means for reconciliation and forgiveness. 
A taste of God's heart for his people to come under his covering and his care. A taste of God's aspirations for his people's attitude toward him, toward each other, and towards those surrounding them. In the arrival of Christ, we have more than a taste. We have the one who is the bread of life. And as um, Jan's already read out, he is the living water. He is the one who said, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. What we taste in the provision of the law and his practices, we receive in full in the arrival of God's Son. What is a shadow of the good things is brought into the full reality in Jesus Christ. He is our complete dietary requirement and our complete satisfaction. Through him we truly become sons and daughters of the living God. Through him we can draw close as children to a good father. Through him, the covering of Christ means we are holy and acceptable to God. Sin is no longer a barrier to intimacy with him. Through him, we have a magnificent mission to the ends of the earth. And through him, we have a promise of a greater, fuller life to come. The second comparison is found in verse 14. Perfection and sanctification. Perfection and sanctification. So verse 14 says... For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. You want to chew that one over a little bit. It's a good, rich verse. Just a quick one for every believer and for those who might be thinking through all of this stuff for the first time. Through Christ, you are made perfect before God. Through Christ, you are made perfect before God. Isaiah 61.10 says, I will, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord my soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation, and he has covered me with the robe of righteousness. This is a beautiful picture of the way that God covers you through Christ, with the robe or his robe of righteousness. Christ, who, it, who was and is without sin and is therefore perfect, covers you with his perfection, and therefore in God's sight, so are you. As God sees you through his son, it's a beautiful image. God clothes you with his righteousness. So on one level, you are perfect before God, and yet your holiness is an ongoing process. Sanctification is the act of making one holy, pure. God has clothed you on the outside, covered you with an everlasting cover, much better than my caravan cover it's supposed to correct my protect my caravan it's like you know had like a 10-year guarantee and it was warped in five years this is an everlasting cover that will protect you and keep you in God's sight perfect and yet there's an inward thing there's something happening on the inside he's making you more like him through the power of his holy spirit the covering is a done deal the sanctification is an ongoing process so be encouraged. As soon as you come to Christ, it's a done deal. You might have an outrageous amount of baggage in your life. You might have sinned in this way and that. When you put your faith in Christ, it's a done deal. He clothes you with a robe of righteousness that perfects you before God. He remembers your sin no more. And yet, he puts his finger on your heart and your mind. And he begins a work in you, a relationship with you, 
that calls you to live a life devoted to him and set apart for him. Whoa, I knew you jumped to the end of my preach then. Which might have pleased some of you, I'm not sure. (laughs) You may carry a lot of baggage. Relationship history. Anger history. Drug and alcohol history. Abusive history. Sanctification is change over time. And God wants to work with you, looking at one luggage case at a time, to learn what it is to do life with him. Which leads me to one last comparison. In verse, we can find that in verse 18. Forgiveness and offerings. Forgiveness and offerings. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. God is a God who forgives. And so the only offerings we make as Christians are offerings of worship that show something of our thankfulness and adoration to him. Offerings that show our complete confidence and commitment to him in honor of his commitments to us. So we offer him our time, our finance, our skills, our best. God forgives you. He forgives me. If we sin and this sin is brought to our attention, usually through the work of the Holy Spirit, by the way, that finger, that finger on your heart, we ask God for his forgiveness. We ask help to be more like him. We say sorry for not honoring him. But the fragrant offering has already been given through Christ. There is nothing that you can give in way of making amends. Christ has already accomplished that on your behalf. The offerings that we bring from then on are from a heartfelt attitude of worship, thanksgiving to God, and a heart to set the right course of action going forward. Okay, so those are three comparisons that briefly show the work of God through Christ for us. Okay, I should say, Father, God, would you, I just pray now, because we're going to just pause here for a moment, I pray Lord, I pray that your word would just embed itself in our hearts now. And as we look at these final statements to your scripture that help us to learn what it is to live for for you, I pray that the reality of all that you've accomplished on our behalf would set deep in, would be an anchor for us. That we wouldn't just know this stuff, but we would truly Breathe this stuff. Believe this stuff. Live, let it affect and impact all that we do. Oh God, would you just entrench that in us now in Jesus' name. Amen. How do we respond to all of this? Verses 22 to 24 give us three let us statements. Three let us statements, which I will read to you. The first let us statement is, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, 
with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. That's what we are doing or going to do now. We're going we're gonna to draw near to God. We are going to come close to him. We are going to be intimate with him. You're going to share with him and he's going to share with you. As he will hear your voice, so you will hear his voice. And some of you might think that you are not worthy to do this. Some of you might feel unclean before God. And there might be things that even now God is putting his finger on with you right now. Choices you've made. Thoughts that you've had. Words that you've said. Relationships. Friendships. Work. Family. And in my preparation, I had a picture of a glowing hot poker just lightly touching the skin. It's just a touch, but it can feel ever so painful. Maybe God is just placing his finger in an area of your life. It's just a gentle touch, but it's ever so painful because as you draw near to him, the father wants to speak closely to his sons and daughters. And I believe he would say this to you this morning. Christ is enough for you. My son is enough for you. You might not feel worthy, but Christ has clothed you. And there is no longer any obstacle between you and God. Hallelujah. Christ is enough for you. Enough that you might know afresh the full extent of God's love, great love for you. God might be pressing his finger upon something in your life. This is the love of God for you to bring healing and assurance. Christ is enough for you, so you are enough for God. Sure, God wants you to live a life that is pleasing to him, but you can draw near to him. Christ is enough for you, so you are enough for God. The second let us statement is found in verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. We, we live in a time of wavering, swaying from one opinion to another, from one political leader to another, from one ideology to another. Yet we, the church, the family of God, have a hope that is unwavering, unchanging, sure and steadfast, a rock that we can build upon. Amen? Amen. We have a testimony. We have a voice. We have a confession there is a great mission field of people who need the steadfast love of Christ. Let us be a people who are unwavering in our confession of the hope that we have. Let us be a people that show through our voice and our deeds our great confidence in the hope that is Jesus Christ and his wonderful gospel. For our nation that is particularly wobbly at the moment, he is the great, sure, and steadfast hope. The anchor that this nation and the nations of the world so desperately need. As he is unwavering, let us also be unwavering in our faith. And the final let us statement is found in verses 24 to 25. And then we are going to respond in worship. 
And I do believe God is going to continue speaking to us this morning. So I want to give room for God's voice and prophetic contributions. And I think particularly we may respond through what Janet shared. So verses 24 to 25. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together, as in the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day, the return of Christ, drawing near. Brothers and sisters, let's be intentional about stirring one another up to love and to good works. I love that phrase because it incorporates the, the action. Let's stir up love, love for God, love for one another, love for this community, love for our neighbor. But let this love be made complete through action. Let us be doers out of love. And simply, let's keep being together. Sometimes it's hard to get to a Sunday, to get to a life group, to meet for prayer, to do those one-to-ones, pressures of life, work, and quite simply, the enemy of God who seeks to keep us away from the family of God. Press through. Press through. Champion. Prioritize. Make every effort. Help each other out. Give lifts. Make phone calls. Be and do family in the way that God will stir us to do. Let these times be great highlights of our week, encouraging one another and stirring up love that results in good works. God is committed to us. We can be confident in him. And let us be a people who respond faithfully to him. Can I invite the worship team? Should we stand together? Let me read to you again from verse 37. For yet a little while and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but those who have faith and preserve their souls. We are not of those who shrink back, but are people who press forward. We might know people in our lifetime who shrink back. But my prayer here and now is, God, help us not to be a people who shrink back, but a people who press forward. God, help us not to be a people who shrink back, but a people who press forward. And so here is my ask of you, This is a big hall, but I believe there are big voices here. And I want us to say together, loud and strong, not because of us, not not because of us, but because of He that is in us. We will not shrink back. We will keep pressing forward. Let's say that together, loud and strong, 
We will not shrink back. We will keep pressing forward. Let's say it one more time. We will not shrink back. We will keep pressing forward. And so, Father, I pray that over us as your church family, that we would not shrink back, but we would keep pressing forward in the knowledge through and through, right to our very bones, that Christ is enough. Christ is enough. We're going to respond in worship. And if you are in any of those camps, whether you feel like you need this, the power of God to refresh you, the power of God to renew you, or the power of God to restore you, I'm going to ask you to press forward to the front. And we're going to respond to that prophetic word and we're going to take opportunity to pray with you.